Welcome to the Creative Minds Podcast with me, Callum Hughes. Something for your mind. So, hello everyone. I hope you're all keeping well, especially with everything that's still going on at the moment with the ongoing lockdown. In another special episode of Creative Minds presented by myself, Callum Hughes, I'm joined by a certified Birmingham legend. You may recognise this individual since the start of the pandemic with his selfless hard work invested in his live streams, accumulating over £30,000 in donations for NHS charities, as well as his ongoing recovery sessions. But he has been donning the scene a lot longer than that. This man may not have been born and raised in Birmingham, but nobody can argue that he has been one of the key players in the Birmingham scene for well over 20 years. From his iconic pirate radio shows to Jump Records, being the pioneer behind the inception of funky bass lines, to the nostalgia of the nice underground parties retaining that quality old school vibe, and winning awards to being nominated for a Pride of Britain award, the list of achievements is literally endless. His authenticity, passion for music, and giving back to people means that he remains a relevant figure to this day. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Joe Hunt. Evening, Joe. Uh, how are we, mate? Good, mate. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm all good, mate. I'm all good. All good. good. Any reason for the cap, mate? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Airdo 100, that's what I call it, mate. Still looking... Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Still still looking younger than most of us, mate, all things considered, if you haven't had a trim and been on the sunbeds in a couple of weeks. <laughs> a couple of weeks? Talking a month. <laughs> Quality. Are you all good, yeah? Yeah, really good, mate. Um, I mean, how, how have you been since since the start of the pandemic? I know you've been keeping busy, but... Yeah. You know what I mean? 
I think that definitely reflects, mate, like with, with the passion in, in your streams. And I've got to say, I think Guinness World Records need to come down because I'm always impressed with how many shout-outs you can deliver in one stream. I'm like, mate, the geezer's just relentless. He can just roll him off his tongue like it's nothing. <laughs> you know what it is? It's all this stuff behind me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, my, my backdrop's a bit boring, mate, compared to yours. I've got a film poster, a Tyson Fury frame thing, and you've got, like, half of Rue J's bar, mate, behind you. Yeah, no, it's true, mate. But fingers crossed. So I wanted to go right the way back at first chronologically before you even started the DJ career because what I like, to be fair, is obviously a lot of people in the Birmingham scene know you. Like, For instance, the likes of Short as Will Power, they've known you for years, but a lot of the, the younger generation like me probably won't know you know about your upbringing your childhood before you moved to to Birmingham so was he correct correct me if I'm wrong like the UK garage movement didn't really start until like the early to mid 90s so you know when you were growing up were you listening to like a lot more US garage or what were your kind of musical influences when you were growing up Especially with the live streams that you've been doing since the start of the pandemic, the fact that you've said you're able to play what you really want to play with the more uplifting stuff, that's almost like a reflection of your your mum and your childhood still combining that with what you're playing now. It is, because there's a... Why can't I remember the bloody 
Tony Braxton. Tony Braxton was a big one for my mum. She loved Tony Braxton. Uh, but like I say, Whitney Houston. And, uh, and Michael Jackson, for me, Michael Jackson was my hero. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I used to practice dancing like Michael Jackson, <laughs> doing, the, doing the bloody the, the crutch grab and all that, spinning, seeing how long I could spin on the spot for. You know, so when you listen to, when, when I play tracks in my show and I, I get excited about, like, a pretty young thing, I'll play a remix of pretty young thing, and I get excited and, like, you people when i say this is a tune for me like and it's because it's michael jackson and i get so passionate about particular tracks and like you say when you think back and and now when i think back and you've actually just pointed this out it is because of that reason because of the tracks that i was brought up on you know what i mean yeah you, so, yeah. you know you said you were growing up and you were practicing a lot of the michael jackson moves do you fancy giving us a demonstration now <laughs> to be fair you're probably the only guest i'd have on where i say something like that as a joke and you just go yeah go on mate i'll do it if it's gonna uh, entertain everyone Oh yeah, yeah. If you want about Michael Jackson, yeah, like my mum, my mum went to see Michael Jackson in Wembley when she was like a teenager. So I'm like a massive Michael Jackson fan as well. no doubt in that he is the greatest pop star of all time and I don't see how anyone could top him to be honest Yeah, yeah. 
I know what you're saying, mate. So I, I understand originally, like, like you say, you're from down in Crawley. So how old were you when you ventured up to Birmingham and, and was the reason for like pursuing a career in music or is it more that you just had work and then you just kind of stumbled into it and here we are? Go on, Joe. <laughs> Go on, Joe. I'll drink to that, mate. <laughs> yeah, that was a nervous drink that was, just in case my mum's like, oh! Um, so, yeah, I moved up to Birmingham when I was 18. Didn't have any dreams or anything like that. Just literally followed this woman up here. And um, when I got to Birmingham, she, uh, it kind of didn't go very well, so I kind of walked out after that. I think it was about 20. Just walked out one day and said I've had enough. Uh, got myself, um, got myself a, a flat in King's Standing because I was deemed homeless. <clears throat> uh, yeah, and I was living it pretty rough. Didn't have any furniture. Didn't even have a TV. My friend gave me one armchair. I was like basically uh, living. I was washing my washing my clothes in the bath. Um, and I will make claim to this that I invented the George Foreman because uh, before George Foreman came out with his magical grill, I was already cooking my food on a Breville maker. <laughs> Mate, you should take George Foreman to court for the, for, for the painting. Not a bean. Not a bean. Washing my clothes in the bath. Um, yeah, bad times. Bad times. Bad yeah. Times. But I think, like, even, even now... Like you'll probably look back when times were tough and there's no doubt at all, you know, when you're in the moment, you, you do stand there or you sit there and you're by yourself and you think, oh, this is hard. And especially, you know, like you made that move up, you thought it was going to be, you know, a, a happy story. And at that time it wasn't. But now you look back and you appreciate the difficult times yeah. you went through to get to where you are now. Yeah, it's like, it's, it, stuff like that teaches you a lot. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true, um, mate. If you, if, you, if you get born into the world and you've already got it, you don't appreciate what you've got. Uh, and I literally, my mum said, said to me when I hit, hit rock bottom there, uh, she was like, son, you'll be home. You will be home. You'll come home. And I was like, mum, I'm not coming home. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to stick it out. And I did. I mean, that was when I was obviously uh, 20. You know, there was a lot of tears. You know, there was, there was times uh, where... The one time I spent Christmas Day on my own, Bloody in um. standing that continuously got robbed. I mean, like, I did get given a TV, we're talking a big back TV, uh, and I'd go to the shop, I'd come back, and my, my window would be smashed, and the TV would be gone. And I'm talking, this TV wasn't even worth 20 quid, but that's how bad the area was in King's standing, uh, in King's Heath, sorry, that I lived. They've even knocked it down now because it was just deemed that rough like they knocked the whole area down um but yeah i'd literally even if i was given a tv or something to watch it was i'd come back and it was it was gone you know what i mean i was there, 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 I was there again in my little armchair with the spring sticking up my arsehole you know what i mean it was it was that bad like uh, no carpets i like i said no cooker i was cooking on a breville maker washing my clothes in, in the bath you know it was bad it was bad yeah you know like 
fair play to you, mate. Because I mean, I mean, my situation's never been as bad as that. But like, when I moved here, start of 2016, you, you kind of make that leap. And when you're very young, I think I was probably the similar age to you. And at the time, you, you take that leap, and then you land here, and you're like, it's it's an eye opener, big time. Yeah. You know, since they demolished um, that area that you lived and obviously with you doing all these live streams, do you reckon there's any chance of them getting a Michael Jackson-style statue of you? Like saying Joe Hunt used to live here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, but um, going back to then, you know, I, I had no idea what was going on. Like, I didn't have a penny to my name. <clears throat> And the only thing that I was thinking about was uh, trying to get a job. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I say, I, I, I used to have a window cleaning. I was, you know, I was, had a window cleaning round at, at 19. I went round literally knocking all the doors, trying to get a window cleaning round. I, I did get one. You know, I was, you know, undercutting the, the local window cleaner. You know, cleaning the whole, whole house inside and out for £2.50. You know what I mean? Like, I was lumping these ladders around and that continued for a bit, but, no, nah, it was, uh, it was, you know, I, I might, we could be here for hours talking about. Yeah, yeah. But then I, I, I ended up getting a job um, in Solly Old, a place called Dave and Buster's. Um, and, yeah, uh, it started to, to, to move from there, really, because then, obviously, I met new friends because at the time I didn't have any friends either because... All my friends were her friends, and I wanted nothing to do with her, so therefore, it, I'm kind of come away from her and her friends, and I was on my own. You know, like I said, I spent Christmas, one Christmas, on my own, sat in that living room, uh, eating a box of quality street my mum had sent up. Oh. Uh. to my mum, because, you know, all my family were together down south, and I was there on my own, you know, spending Christmas on my own with a box of uh, quality streets, couldn't afford no food either. How bad is that? Bloody hell. Fair, fair play to you, mate. Well, at least, you know, there's been, been a change of good fortune with your, your patience yeah. and yeah. hard work. When did things, um, as well as, you know, your fortunes changing for the better, when was your kind of first encounter with underground music and then that kind of life-affirming moment where you thought, this is what I want to get involved in? This is what I was about to say. <laughs> when I started this job at David Buster's, I met a guy called Omar, who's still my friend this day, a uh, good lad, really, really good lad, and he was like, oh, he used to go uptown every now and again, he was like, oh, Joe, do you, uh, do you want to come to this club with me? I was like, yeah, come on in, let's go. Anyway, we ended up at this place called West End Bar, and we're there at the back, you know, night tracksuit, <laughs> we were the dogs danglies, <clears throat> and uh, a guy called Rick James was playing at the time, uh, and that's when I very first heard Birmingham Crew, so we're talking when I was 22. So we're talking, what, I'm, I'm 44 now. So 22 years ago, I mm-hmm. heard that tune for the first time in West End Bar. And I was like, what is this? And he said, this is what it's like all the time. I was like, this place is next level. Anyway, we, we went a few times after that. And uh, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. I want to be playing the music and making people feel how I feel right now. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And it, 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 it went from there then. Um, still not living in the best uh, places. 
our sharing with people that smoked copious amounts of weed. Uh, and it was just ridiculous. I'd come home from work and I'd walk in the living room and there'd be like 25 people all right in the living room doing box. Oh. You know, ridiculous the way of living like. You know, <laughs> I, had, I had my decks like. Um, and what, what happened was I, uh, I saved up for this moped. No, sorry, before I got the decks, I saved up for this moped. So I got his moped to go to and from work. Anyway, this guy was like, oh, I've got a set of decks for sale because he knew that I wanted a set of decks. I was like, oh, right, Sam. I said, well, I've got no money. And he was like, oh, well, uh, set, um, give me your moped and I'll give you these decks. <laughs> I was like, How did you get a moan then, Joe? How did you get the decks home? <laughs> it's like, how am I going to get to work? <laughs> Birmingham, that is unreal. <laughs> this, this, this was in Warstock. Now this was, I'd moved to Warstock at this time, but yeah, he tried to rob the decks back, cheeky git. So you know what, mate, how mad is that? So imagine if he would have robbed those decks, you might not be here today. <laughs> you might have just thought, oh, the decks have gone. <laughs> basically, basically, if I was watching right now, he's down to him. <laughs> Next level. Mate, Omar, if you're listening, I think Joe owes you a couple of grand, mate, from all them sets over the years because you saved his decks. He loved that moped as well. You should drive around that moped. He loved it. <laughs> mate, you're cracking me up here already. Funny, man. So where was West End Bar then? Because obviously I've only really been about in the scene for about five years, so whereabouts is that now? That's that's quite convenient, isn't it? <laughs> that, no, it's not Snow Hill. It's not. Is it Snow Hill? It's Snow Hill, isn't it? Snow yeah. The headquarters, the main headquarters. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's only about five minute walk from where I live. I'm on Newell Street now, so it's probably only about five. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. It was about hundred yards down from there, that like. Yeah, hundred yards down from the PlayStation. Yeah, was it was it pretty rough and ready, down and dirty? So there's, there's no doubt, obviously, that the scene has gone through some significant transitions over the years with like venues, brands, um, and artists coming and going, as well as the rise of social media. But back when you were going to like the, the West End bar and you were trying to get your foot in the door, what kind of like tactics and manoeuvres w- were you playing your hand at back then? Because obviously there was no social media like there is now, so it was a lot more 
in person? Well, I walk around with, um, with a, the little collection that I had, what I perceived to be the music they were playing at West End Bar. Because like, it, was, it wasn't like Speed Garage all the way. It was obviously a couple of Speed Garage tracks, but it was a lot of um, hard house crossover, bit of trance as well, a um, couple of UKG tracks, because UKG two-step was only coming through at that stage. Because mm. obviously Garage is a big genre, it's like house, isn't it? There's so many, um, say, uh, branches off of house that you know, yeah. deep house, got up with house, piano out. So with Garage, you had obviously US Garage, you've got you got two-step garage, you got four-four garage, and two-step garage was just coming out then. So you had a couple of uh, tracks, you know. Remember Sweet Like Chocolate and that when that. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come out like that. That when I first heard that in West End Bar, I was like, literally, Rick James got the promo, played in there, it went off. Mate, iconic tunes those are. Like the kind of tunes that even now, like 2021, you'd still drop that and it would go off next level. Yeah. Carry on, mate. Around with his sack of uh, records in this, um, it wasn't even a record bag. It was, uh, a, you know, the cat, the cat brand. Turn that heat enough. You know the cat brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know the cat brand, the, the diggers and that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Had like a, an over-the-shoulder satchel that was obviously just meant probably a school bag, to be fair. <laughs> but I used to shove like fifty records in there. And the flap didn't even go all the way over. The cat side sat at the top because it was meant to sit. The cat side was meant to sit at the front because I put records in. It was sat at the top because the flap would go all the way over. Yeah. Just added for records. <clears throat> anyway, I used to c- carry that around thinking I was like, yeah, Mr. DJ. Like. And um, I used to just take my chance. <clears throat> there was a place called Genesis. <clears throat> it was called Hadley's, Hadley's Bar, actually, the official name after it was known as Genesis. <clears throat> and um, basically, obviously, I, I didn't have no uh, bargaining tools or anything like that. And that was like the next place to go after West End Bar. Everyone went West End Bar and then they went to Genesis afterwards because Genesis started at midday and went on till midnight. Yeah. Anyway, I, I used to go there afterwards and uh, I, used to, I, I kind of got my way into the DJ boat and I used to sit there and I, I said to the DJ, the resident, I said, oh, so I used to go to a place called uh, Dust Till Dawn as well, and I was quite friendly with the manager there. Because uh, my best mate, Rav, who I'm still friendly with now, used to be the barman, and my other mate, uh, Matt, who I still talk to now, used to be the general manager. He was only 17, general manager of a nightclub. That's how dodgy it was. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I basically, because I knew them, I kind of come up with this, this plan uh, I was, they, they had given me the go-ahead to do this night at Dust or Dawn. So when I went to Genesis, which is where I really wanted to play, my sister, the resident DJ, I said, hey, I said, I've got this night coming up at, 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 at Dust or Dawn. I said, if you give me a spot here, a go here, I said, I'll give you a spot on my night, like. Yeah. Anyway, he let me play. He was like, yeah, sound, sound. Anyway, he let me play. Did all right. He's like, oh, he says, you're pretty good. He says, uh, you can play a record if you want. Anyway, he never, ever asked me about playing a Dust or Dawn. And that's <laughs> how my career started. No way. The life out of it. <laughs> Natural I salesman, mate. Sunday, Genesis, I was there every Sunday. I played from five, five or seven, I think it was, till midnight. Five 
graft, mate, that is. That is serious graft. Proper, mate. But then it was like, it was, it was the... Standard, wasn't it? Yeah. It was just normal. You know, it's just what you did, like. Yeah. It was brilliant. We used, we used to, uh, it's a little thing that make you laugh. We used to, uh, it's obviously back then it was cassettes. You know what I mean? There was no CDs, was there? Or um, USB, it was all cassettes. So what we used to a fiver for a cassette. So they can record your set. So they come in with a cassette. You put it in the cassette recorder, record, uh, obviously, 90 minutes. You can only do two recordings. So you'd earn yourself a tenner on the side. And uh, it's ever so funny, because all you ever got paid at that, at that Genesis that had this bar was four cans of red stripe. Mate, right. still the same for some promoters now. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. Five cans, uh, like four cans of um, red stripe for five hours set. And like I said, we used to make like, a little bit of change, extra change, by recording our set and sending the cassette for a fiver. <laughs> but the thing is, though, back in the day, like that's proper hustling. Like that is proper graft. You know, I think nowadays, you know, obviously times have changed, you know, mid-90s compared to 2021. Obviously, you're going to utilise social media, but it's almost like now it's probably too easy. Whereas back then, you had to go and network face-to-face. You had to put yourself out there, go and support the nights. And you should still be doing that now. Like, if you want to be DJing for a brand now, like I was speaking to Lee Harrison, Short, as Will Power, you know, like all these respected promoters, and they say the amount of people... You probably get it as well with Nice that message you, send you a mix, say, oh, mate, any chance of a set? You'll say to them, oh, have you been down to the night? Oh, no. It's like, mate, you've got to go and support yeah. support the yeah, night, man. I know. I know. Like, like I say, back then, you know, when, when we were doing the other stuff, like, uh, just going forward a bit, when we started the baseline ever, I've literally got a box, I, I've literally got a box of cassettes of people send, they used to send promos to play, like boxes of them, like, and you know and I know, like, you ain't got time to, you know, I was also working then as well, and you just ain't got time to go through and listen to any of them, so no, even though people made that effort, making a mixtape to send to the promoter, they never got to listen, and sorry if anyone's watching now that, you know, anyone that I thought uh, deserved the chance, always got a chance but it was never going to be through me sitting there and listening to a mixtape you know what I mean because I just didn't have time and just literally just wasn't physically possible you know what I mean yeah of course and it, that, that's what people don't realise is you actually do have a life outside of DJing especially now obviously you know you've got you've got your fiance your air conditioning job your live streams people think you've got like an extra 20 hours a week to be listening to like mix after mix it's just yeah. So. But no, it was it was a good point you made there though, and I think that's still relevant to this day. You know, people who maybe have got an idea to start a little intimate party of their own, if yeah. if you're maybe new to the scene, that's actually quite a good bargaining tool because if you can turn around to another DJ and say, Oh mate, you know, I'll sort you out a set at my night if you know you can do the same, it's it's a pretty good bargaining tool you can still yeah. still use now. Genesis, um, I did black. It was a big white lie. Uh, so I never <laughs> had a bargain, so it's just a lie. You know what I mean? I got myself in there. But I've 
always said that I never would get into that situation where um, where I, you know, a booking for a booking because you end up having no value. Yeah. Because uh, people aren't booking you on your skill and your talent. They're booking you to get a booking. And yeah. I've seen so many DJs fall because of that. And I always said, I, I always will, uh, whenever, I'll never do something where I owe someone something back. Yeah, you you are right there. I mean, what I would say personally, I mean, for someone like me who like the same as you, and I moved to Birmingham, I didn't know anyone. So, very first getting your foot in the door, it's worth it. But I do agree. After you've done it once, I think after that it should be solely on merit and credit and credit as to how good you are. If if you're constantly using that as a bargaining tool for your whole career, then that's not it's not the right way to do it. I I agree with you there, mate. Yeah. You have no value. You have no value, and you have no, you know, you. You just have no value as a DJ. People just look at you as like, like I said, I've just seen so many DJs fall because of that's how they've got through. You, you see, I've seen. I'm like, how they get all these bookings? Like, oh, it's because they're giving, giving them a booking now. Like, and then all of a sudden they haven't got a night, and then you don't see them on any bills anymore. And then I'm still yeah. on the bill. Oh, well, I've always said. Yeah, it's right. You know when you were saying about Genesis and, and the residency there, and, and one thing I've noticed, not so much nowadays with people from my generation, but the best DJs that I've met are the ones that were playing back in the day in your bars, you know, like on vinyl, like playing to sometimes like not many people, really cutting their teeth as a warm-up DJ like yourself, Obviously, you've got people like Kiddo, Willpower, Shorters, when he said he was playing Moon Lounge, when he was playing Moon Lounge. And... There's, no such thing as a good, there's no such thing as a warm-up DJ, I, I have to say. There's no such thing as a warm-up. There's a, uh, a, a DJ that starts the night, that's what I like to call them, because they, they are the ones that um, start the night. If, if, you, if someone plays crap, that is what the rest of the night's going to be like. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, they set the path for the rest of the night. So the, the first DJ goes on, he plays absolutely wank, right? <laughs> and I don't mean wank, you know, a DJ, a bad start-off DJ, we'll call them, not a warm-up, that goes in there and starts playing all the bangers, he's, a, he's not a very good DJ in my... In my no, opinion. I agree, mate, 100%. Start-off DJ, someone go in there, intelligently selects to get the crowd going but not playing the bangers yeah that's and, a... and sure do that very well very very well you know what I mean it's like bloody hell bloody hell bloody hell you know what I mean people <laughs> rocking to a tune you just wouldn't have even flipped over and played like yeah you know it's, it, yeah so it's a real a real selector can play a good first set yeah it's it's, it's the best way to to earn respect I mean I I was probably guilty of it when I was playing like 2017 I feel like I I was definitely guilty of wanting that peak set time like when Shorters would book us for 2.31 I was always a pain in his arse saying Tom Tom what set time have I got like can I have 12 till 1 I can have 1 till 2 but the, old, the older you get, you realise you earn far more respect of taking, you know, that first set of the night and really digging deep to make sure you set the vibe, set the vibe right for how the, the night will go on. And, and last set as well. And yeah. Set, if you can keep the crowd there at the end, then you're, you're a really good uh, last DJ. And I used, to, I used to ask Will for 
time. Uh, and then I started thinking, oh, I, I don't want to play last no more. And Will used to say, Joe, I want you to play last because you play the right music for the last set. You keep people there. And the, the, the thing is, the real reason is people still spending money beyond the bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Will, Will's, Will's there like, yeah, Joe, Joe, you're doing a great job, mate. Keep playing that last set. <laughs> <laughs> quality you, you know um, just coming back once more to that residency at Genesis was that kind of what properly kick started everything off when you were gradually getting booked for more different venues and brands the geezer that you did the private radio shows with yeah he used to do Silk City with me yeah uh, he still does lives now he's just done a live just a minute ago but yeah 
he uh, he started an arts club in uh, in a dodgy um, it was a dodgy uh, reggae uh, bar in Winston Green. Oh, good old Winston Green. <laughs> good old Winston Green, mate. Right next to the prison, it was. <laughs> Yes, Joe. Top, top work. <laughs> yeah, me and Clinton Shaw um, used to uh, play back to the back there. We used to play for like literally seven hours back to back. Lethal, like, mate, that is. I was the same when then. That's what I mean. It was so underground then. Yeah. What year was this, roughly? It's, it's got to have been, was it? How old am I? Yeah, it's got to have been money picked. Like, all that cool stuff was going on. But then I was like, you know, grunging around in like tracksuit tops and jeans that are far too big for me. <laughs> Crap trainers with this cat bag over my shoulder, like going to these dodgy gigs, like playing for like seven hours. But I loved it, I loved it. And the, the, like I say, the wages were poor, the money weren't good. You know, and like like you say, the modern day DJ now that's got probably little experience expects 150 quid, 100 quid minimum now. Yeah. And then we were like doing seven hour sets, happy to get four cans of lager and 30 quid. Yeah. And you you probably spent three times more than what you would have earned just on records in the week leading up to the set. Just for the, the listeners to keep them up to speed in terms of the era, was this early noughties by this day, era-wise? This was 90, uh, 98, 99, I would have said. Yeah, because uh, Come Down Operate with a 99 remix came out. That's how I know. Kind of that yeah, yeah. We were playing a lot of garage at this point now. Me and Clinton were playing a lot of garage. Uh, and the off-speed garage tune, it was predominantly garage we were playing. Like I say, I know that because uh, that it's the way Come Down the Operate with the 99 remix come out because it was made in 1999. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. So, yeah, it was, um, it was mad. Mad. It's mad. Mad. With, with you saying about Garage, though, I, I came across a video a, a couple of weeks ago. It was from 2001 at Alexandra Palace. So it was like DJ EZ, Romeo. I think Wiley, when Wiley was first coming through, but he was still like very young like you know coming through the ranks and uh, it was funny because Kai from Abode was saying that that's when it started to get a little bit moody like you'd have guns you know firing shots in Alexandra Palace and then they'd have to to lock it off just so we we don't go off track too much but just with with you um, kind of placing an emphasis on Garage what do you think it was that, that made that side of the scene go a little bit moody and it started to get a bit. Uh, the MC, 
tendencies uh, and the style of garage that it changed uh, to, it was called, what was it bloody called now? Because it used to be too called two-step garage and then it was called Brake Step, uh, which was um, obviously Zinc started that, uh, that trend, DJ Zinc, and it was um, uh, 138 Trek. Nah, mate, before my time, mate, that is... for success in whether you start like intimate or go bigger for a first party if you know enough people and say if you had decent financial backing but do you agree with your experience that it's better to start small and think big and did you apply this like when you were throwing your very first parties um so when you're first starting out I know there's no blueprint for success because I know pro- promoters that have started small but thought long-term big and, you know, they've gone on to throw really big parties, but there's some that, you know, go big very first party. Would you say from your own experience, did it, like, and when you were throwing your first parties, that it is better to start off small with, like, intimate parties or did you kind of go straight in from, from, from the off when you were doing your events? Um, even before then, mate, like your very first parties that you were throwing? Uh, my very first party was at, at Premonition, and uh, that was that was uh, um, that was a speed garage event. That's what I mean. When, when we come away from Pentpers, we come away from that uh, place in Wixon Green. This, uh, this place called Premonition opened, which was owned by the guy that owned Pentpers, that dodgy place at no license he then bought a nightclub called premonition which is opposite the dome uh the what's it called o2 opposite the o2 you know you've got two tower blocks on the roundabout a sheep right by sheep yeah 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 just nod <laughs> <laughs> anyway this dodgy place called premonition um Anyway, I, got, I was in their office as a resident because I was a resident of this other place. Um, 
and that was my very first place that I, I put on an event, and it was called Colours, uh, and it was uh, I, how I promoted it was I was working at a place called uh, Bank Restaurant. Bank Restaurant. Bank Restaurant. No, it wasn't Bank Restaurant. No. Anyway, I made up this this flyer. I made it up on my computer, printed it off, went to the uh, went to the um, the bloody council uh, library photocopied off loads of pages, cut them all up, and I was sticking them around all the shops, right, on just little leaflets. And, uh, yeah, that was my first ever event, and it was absolutely packed to the to the raft. Really? Absolute packed it was. Because there was nothing going on, really, then. Yeah. So it was absolutely packed to the rafters. Um, that was my very first ever, ever event. I did that with Clinton Shudor, uh, I did that with Matt, who used to run Dust All Dawn. Uh, yeah, it was us through. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, though, when you, were, when you were saying about Chic, it was um, Birmingham Gay Pride 2019, and uh, Hannah once played a speed garage set, and then Fleur played afterwards, and then I'd never been really lot around, uh, you know, like the gay quarter, so they took me to, to Chic afterwards. <laughs> And um, I walked in, and uh, we were only there for probably about 20 minutes. I had a drink, and I, me being me, obviously, I went to the toilet, forgotten what goes on in some of these toilets. And I was stood there, and these geezers were looking at me, going, you're right, mate? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you. They <laughs> saying, do you want to come in? I was like, nah, I'm off, mate. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably the quickest piss I've ever had, mate, in my life, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Now they they were all good lads though they were they were nice lads but it was uh... my, my first experience when I went to Sheik uh, I loved the place uh, I couldn't even go for a week when I went in the men's toilets <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't know I, I just didn't know what to expect. <laughs> That's the thing, like those kind of bars as well. Um, you, you can't go wrong with the vibe, can you? Because it obviously, you know, that that kind of vibe um, between gay people, it's always happy, it's always uplifting, and uh, can't really go wrong with it. To be fair, the music's always good as well. The music's always good. They like they like good music. Yeah. They're always good. Yeah. It's true. So I listened to the podcast that you did with Shorters on Rinse FM a while ago and obviously a big part of your history was the pirate radio shows you were doing with with Dean Curtis so I, I really like the point um he made about how you didn't pigeonhole yourself to one subgenre like you like to cross over I and mean, then that's how you stood out on the the pirate radio shows um so how did your involvement with pirate radio come about and how much of a turning point was that like in your growth and exposure as, as a dj um uh, well just let's quickly just say that, that again um getting on uh silk was a complete oh, accident, yes i say an accident it was an accident i was playing at um, a club in um star city uh, my mate mark Ryder 
put on an event there and he was like, Joe, Joe, I want you to come down and, and play some of his speed so you are doing like, he'd heard me, uh, don't know where he'd heard me, but he just like, I want you to come down and play. And I was like, okay, sound. Anyway, so I played this, uh, gone down there and played the speed garage set. And it, it went down really well, like, and this geezer come up to me. Um, oh, what's his name now? Uh, Jedi, MC Jedi, his name is. And he's come up to me at the end, he's gone, have you ever done radio before? And I was like, no. He's like, well... I you've got a face for radio, radio mate. <laughs> said, you've got a face for radio. Is that what he said, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, I've got... Uh, I went to come and play on my, uh, my pirate station. I was like, all right, what's that then? Bearing in mind, being a garage DJ, I'd listened to Silk for many years. Like, so uh, he's gone, Silk City, I've gone... But... He's gone, yeah, Silk City, I went to come and play this on my station. I was like, 100%, that's what I want to do, 100%. Anyway, obviously, I was, I was friends with Dean Curtis, you know, really good friends with Dean Curtis at the time, like, still am. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said to this guy's gone, right, then, come, we want you to come Thursday night, uh, what, was, what time? 12 till 1 in the morning. I was like... Oh, sound. All right, cool. So I said to Dean, I said, Dean, you're going to have to come with me. He said, because he told me he was an MC. <laughs> <laughs> he, told, he told me for years, he's like, yeah, I used to be an MC at, uh, at Telford Ice Rink. Like, Telford oh, Ice Rink, you know. Huh? Bloody, mate, that's where um, my old man lives in Telford. So we're like, this was early noughties. I used to go to Telford Ice Rink when it was still like Friday night, like disco. Um, on a, on a Friday. <laughs> Hold on. What? Oh, bloody hell, I've got some stuff, I've got a smoker. I've got some fire behind me. Anyway, uh, we kind of like did that. 
and then the guy we did that a couple of times and then the guy was like oh i want to put you on uh, i want to move you on a saturday um two to two to four on a saturday me and dean were like all right sound but it is time dean weren't djing dean was still hosting for me mm-hmm. he was still hosting for me he wasn't he wasn't the, he was a dj but he wasn't djing for me and believe it or not uh, DJ Sparks used to do the 12 till 1 before me playing garage. See, he wasn't the speed garage DJ then, he was a garage DJ. And I didn't know Sparks, obviously I knew Sparks when he was playing before me, but I didn't know him personally. So I was actually only thinking about that the other day when it was his three year anniversary of his, of his passing, like, and I was thinking, you know, that yeah. But yeah, um, me and Dean went on. I went on and I was playing all this old piano house and everything that I've been dropping at the steering wheel, uh, premonition, uh, not touching garage because everyone was playing garage on Silk City at the time. There weren't no Nicky G's, Davy Boys and all that on it, just me, like I was the only speed garage DJ on there. <coughs> and um, sorry to use them as an example, but obviously they're what people were probably... Uh, uh, relate to yeah of course well. yeah um, but yeah uh, and then it just went on and on and on and as it got more and more popular that's where the recovery session started by the way that's when the recovery session started um, then Dino started to jump on the decks with me so I could do some talking because I wanted to talk now <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do a bit of I was going to say mate something must have changed because obviously I know I was winding you up before about that video I did of you, that impression, but when I very first came across you, I thought, Joe's so confident in front of the camera when you're like, nice, Saturday night, rainbow, come down, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, mate, this geezer's a natural, but <laughs> but it was funny when you're saying then, like, at first, you were like, no, no, I can't, can't do it, whereas naturally you just grow more and more confident. Yeah. And it just, oh, boom, it just went 
Yeah. It's, it's quite nice timing with you mentioning Big Ange because Short has mentioned to me back in the LimeWire days, was it Blue Angel, <laughs> Joe Hunt, <laughs> and everyone would, in, in, a, in a club, <laughs> everyone would go up to the DJ and say, can you play Blue Angel by Joe Hunt? <laughs> well, it was, because obviously it was on my CD as, uh, it was on my CD, and you know, people uploaded it to YouTube, before because he said bloody hell he goes you know that was 13 years ago uploaded onto youtube he goes it's got 332k views now i said the next thing you'll see is big and versus joe hunt in the supreme court over all those youtube royalties that joe hunt's been bringing in (laughs) yeah 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 I know, yeah. Fair play. It's done you a favour. Mate, next... <laughs> next next thing you'll see is Joe Hunt, Billy Jean, or Joe Hunt, Smooth Criminal. <laughs> Funny, man. Yeah, it's been a good journey to that point. Quality. With you mentioning um, places like steering wheel obviously with everything going on at the moment i know there's already a lot of people smiling and laughing um you know because of the, because of the nostalgia from from the old days but a, a lot of people still mention now your likes of moon lounge g2 steering wheel which obviously long before my time i think i was probably in primary school when, when them nights were knocking around but um talk us through like some of like the, the main nights i know there's probably too many to mention and really like what the vibe was like back then and and the culture and the contrast like back then to what it's like now just really what it was like it was uh it was he was having it it was having it um you know like now like 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 the nights were like obviously moon out and stuff um but the very, very first night uh, was me and a guy called John Rowley. He, he obviously clocked back to Silk City and maybe on Silk City and he was doing really well. Um, and this guy called John Rowley hit me up and he's like, oh, do you fancy doing a night with me? I was like, oh, what, 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 do, you, what do you fancy doing? So I speak out his mind. We called it Heaven, believe it or not. And it was opposite, um, opposite the law courts. Uh, not law courts, opposite Q Club on the corner. It's now like a milkshake burger. Yeah, I know, I know where you mean. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I, you know what I mean? Yeah, because I used to play at rooftop for Billy. You know Billy and Manny who do rooftop? Yeah. I, I used to play there, so that's actually right opposite there, isn't it, by the courts? Q Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and basically 
actually, my mate had his big hand in there, and he was like, do you want to do a night here? I was like, all right, sound. Anyway, um, he completely ripped me off. <laughs> he completely ripped me off. He used to be round after the brains. And then we'd get to the end of the night, and he'd be like, oh, there's no money. I'd be like, why is there no money? And he'd be like, oh, uh, because they've overcharged us for security. Oh, whatever, whatever. Anyway, completely ripped off. Um, I never made any money from it, but yeah, that was the very first. Um, that was before the club seal or anything like that. This this night that I did with this guy called John Rout. I'm not gonna say second man. Guy called John. Um, <laughs> uh, guy called John, um, and it was called Heaven. And we also did uh, a bigger event at what's it called now? What's it called? The Sanctuary. Uh, it was called round about the dance arena around the back it was and we done an event there um yeah and that went really well as well uh and then as a partnership and then from there we moved this is fact this is fact we uh, decided to do a night and uh, he said oh i've got this place called moon out I was like, all right, okay, so it's right in the centre of town, it's opposite uh, Chinatown, um, this is, we'll kill it there. Anyway, we've done this night, it's called Chocolate, um, and it didn't do all that well, basically, we did about two weeks, and it didn't it did do all that well at all, and then Nicky G and Davey Boy went in with their Echo thing, and absolutely smashed it, absolutely smashed it, and then that's when Moonlands become Moonlands with, uh, with their boys, like, so yeah. Yeah, were you were you playing there as well? Like, even though your night didn't do too well, would you still play for them boys for Echo and that at Moon Lounge? Yeah, yeah. I still, I still played there. I was a resident for them, like, yeah. Yeah. I played there. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, class. Yeah, no, like, you know what I mean? It is what it is. Some nights foul, some nights work. Some, you know, some, you know what I mean? But you still, still play for them, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course, mate. It was interesting, though, because I've, I've only spoken to Ruja a couple of times did you say he was the person that was booking you at steering wheel so was i'm guessing was he pretty young then was he but back then when he was coming through yeah, was, yeah yeah i remember when i uh, when he gave me my spot there i just couldn't believe that i was over the moon and uh, i played and i played in front of him and he was like do you know what he says any time he says I'll give you a once month booking here said, but any time I can't do my booking you are doing my booking he said because I, I think you're that I'm not even saying oh, you can ask him yourself you're that good of a DJ I trust you to do any set that I can't make and I was like I'll never forget you said that to me hello is that Rouge is that Rouge eh yeah, I know, mate. I think Joe's bullshitting you again, mate, about what he told you back in the day. Sorry, mate, it was just Rouge on the phone saying you were lying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I always say thanks to him every time, like, yeah. we have a little chip and stuff, you know, about a drink or whatever. I always say to him, you know, I owe you a lot for, for giving me that little, that, that little splotter steering wheel. It, it made, uh, you know, it knocked me up from being in the underground so much. You know, just uh, to be more of not so much commercial, but into the next bracket of being a DJ, like you know, mm-hmm. things up the ladder again. So I always say thanks and give thanks to Rue for that. So yeah, was that more? Like I know you said that a speed garage. Was that like your, your handbag house kind of stuff as well with steering wheel or? Yeah, like handbag house. That's what I'm saying. It was it was a mix up of 
of handbag house, piano house, uh, uh, a lot of the trotter stuff, speed garage. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good mix of music. Like, I did like that era. It was a good era of music. Mm. See, a couple of years ago, mate, I, I wouldn't have a clue about these terms, but I think working for shorters for so long, you, I end up just consuming all this jargon about handbag house and all the trotters and all this kind of stuff, stuff that I would never have known about otherwise. He knows his music, that boy. He knows his music. Yeah, funny, man. So, yeah, that was, uh, that, that was a good part of my career. I will never forget that. Yeah, that's quality, mate. The next part I wanted to come on to was about the fact that it's... Um, undeniable obviously you were the, the pioneer behind the, the funky bass signs movement and obviously just before I put the question to you what what I really like is the fact that um, you know with possessions like all the volumes that you did of the funky bass line CDs um, that's something you can like physically own whereas you know like nowadays music is so disposable you know you buy off Beatport or whatever else it's just a digital copy and it ends up getting lost whereas when you own like a CD, it, it's a lot more personal, isn't it? Like, you know, you might not play it as much, but you look at it and it brings back memories. So I have listened to it when you were discussing, like, the, the merger and how you brought, like, was it bass on House with Funky House? And that's what made Funky Bass on. So how, how did that idea even even come about? And then what, what did it grow into? to resist I think we're 70 minutes in and this is the first shout out you've done I bet you've been you've been itching for about 69 minutes thinking I need to do a shout out Did you do parties or under the alias as well? So as well as doing the vol the volume of um, CD collections, did you do parties under the name Funky Bass Lines as well or not? No, nothing, nothing. No. Uh, uh, it's only uh, recently, I've 
they sent like literally just the CD pack that uh, the DCD collection like that I did and I called it Funky Baseline. It's only till recent where I thought, hold on a second, <laughs> hold on a second. Why don't we throw a party and, and rebrand it and bring it back to life again? And that's obviously what I did with um, the whole nice thing. I was obviously doing the nice thing and I was having the drum and bass in there. I know everyone loves drum and bass, but it wasn't, um, from Broder's point of view, it wasn't it wasn't enough for the brand to go forward. You know what I mean? It wasn't, yeah. It wasn't taking the brand forward. It wasn't, it was just enough. It was just room two. You know what I mean? I yeah, yeah. I room two to be as good as room one. Yeah, of course, then, mate. But there is no main room. This is what I try and create. What I tried to, uh, tried to create with with uh, with up nice is that uh, both rooms are the main arena. You know what I mean? Not room one or room two. It's that you know it's just UKG funky baseline. They're both main arenas. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I want to try and create. Like. Nah, it's class. So I know, I know that you were and still are very much at the forefront of the the Birmingham scene alongside several other key players as well. But did you find yourself collaborating with the likes of Jamie Duggan from Sheffield or like up Leeds? You know, you got like Sean, Banger Scott, Kane Townen, Danny Bond. Did you ever collaborate with those guys in different cities? Because I know you all kind of did your own thing and you had your own niche kind of sound. Uh, did you did you find yourself working with those guys along the way? Um, yeah. Uh, what time is it? Quarter past nine. Flown by, mate. <laughs> yeah. I know, mate. I've got the gift of the gab, haven't I, Joe? I've, I've caught you in my reel, mate. <laughs> Would you say was your favourite city to play in outside of Birmingham back in the day? Leeds. Leeds, yeah. Definitely, yeah, Leeds. Uh, I used to play in Bradford as well, but that was a bit, for me, a bit uh, rough and ready. <laughs> can't, um, can't beat Bradford, mate, proper. Bradford, 
I'll tell you why, because it's just as you think you're getting to Bradford, you pass Leeds and it's another 45 minutes. It is a bloody long drive. Yeah, yeah. Long <laughs> drive, I tell you. And you're going to drive back and it's like, oh, we're going to do that again. But yeah, I used to play uh, Leeds. Uh, I used to play Bradford twice a month and Leeds once a month. And then obviously on my resident, oh, I'll tell you what, I was a busy man. I was a busy man. <laughs> Fair so play. I was back in that flat in Kingsley. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't really. <laughs> Quality. So let's come on to Nice now, which was actually one of the first brands I came across when I first moved here, as well as being familiar with um, like 231 and, and Glass and, and brands along that side of the spectrum. But um, when was that idea born and what was your vision with with the brand? Was it to kind of kind of incorporate like the old school stuff and then bring in a bit of new school as well to fuse the generations together or with nice? Yeah. Yeah, well my thing with nice, uh, I won't go too much into it because I don't want to bring up any bad blood. But <clears throat> I always wanted to do it a garage night, uh, and there was a bit of history that went on, uh, which that dream was kind of pulled from underneath my feet. Um, so I kind of, I was with, it kind of, I kind of got kicked in the bollocks bad, uh, sorry to, to swear like, but I got kicked in the bollocks bad, it, it knocked my confidence yeah. uh, a big time, uh, and I kind of wanted to uh, give up DJing, I didn't want to promote, and it was coming to that stage where I was getting very few bookings, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to call it a day, mm. anyone? Um, at my uh, with my missus Sam that I'd um, recently met and I was with uh, Debbie and our other good friend uh, Ash and we was at, uh, at her house and they were like well, what is it you really want to do Joe?" and I was like I really want to do uh, a garage night and they're like well do it then yeah yeah do it you know what I mean you, you know you you, you, you think like you you as a DJ and a, and a person is dead, but you're not, like, just do it. Anyway, I've gone, right, bang, I want to do this this garage night, and everyone went, just went mad, they were like, boom, yeah, that's, we want it, we want it. Yeah. Like, no way, no way. Anyway, that's when it was born, so I, I did this, I did it at the rainbow. It literally went off, because obviously, you know, like I said, I never went to the, these garage nights back in the day. You know, I never went to any of these garage raves, but, I had this vision of how I wanted my garage rave to be, and that's how nice became. You know, I wanted to, I, I wanted it to be like a house night, but playing garage music. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you understand, like, I didn't want it all like champagne bottles and all that on the flyers. I wanted it very, uh, very housey looking, and promoted it into the house crowd. Uh, and people that always wanted to go to a garage night but never could because they were kind of scared and a bit timid about going because of how it used to be, like you say, very violent or, you know, gangs and stuff going and gunshots, but I wanted to do garage but without that element, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Be quite welcoming. Yeah, yeah, of course. And and that's how how it was, you know. Uh, that's how, how I did it and how uh, and Lee McDonald, thank you Lee McDonald for giving me the opportunity to uh, 
to start my dream at the Rainbow. It's definitely one of the biggest parties at Rainbow. I mean, that that was a time as well where um, I was trying to get my foot in the door. So it was around 2016, 2017. And, you know, Rainbow was a big operation. You had 231, Portal, Chapter Festival. And, but Nice was still up there with all of the other brands. So credit to you, mate. And obviously fair play, like you say, to Lee for giving you the opportunity. Uh, you know, with, uh, I remember one thing that Lee Madal said to me, because I said to him, uh, I don't know if you remember, because it, it was the very first, I always remember the flyer. He said, I said to him, I said, I want Nice to be bigger than this. I said, I want it to be bigger than 500 people uh, in the back room of, sorry, I got whipped from the, uh, the, the gym. I said, I want it to be bigger than this. And he was like, no, he said, don't, don't go any bigger than this. Uh, don't go any bigger than this. He said, because as soon as you start going bigger, uh, it creates more problems and more stress. Uh, and, it, and, and there's more money to be lost or there's more money to be made. And I was like, oh, yeah, but this isn't, this isn't, I want it to be bigger, I want it to, you know, I want it to be minor, you know, bigger arenas and stuff like that. And he's like, all right, jab jabs, whatever it was he used to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was jab jabs, wasn't it? Something, something along those lines, yeah. Uh, so he gave me the main arena of uh, Rainbow. Anyway, all that crap happened, didn't it, where someone passed away from taking taking drugs yeah so yeah shot. the rainbow got shot uh just before my event yeah so they obviously I've got all these artists in limbo and uh will, will power bless him he was like right he says you can come and do uh you can come and do the event because it was, it was the rainbow got shot and my event was meant to be two weeks that's how close it was for me doing my big event that i dreamed of and uh, he says, come and do it at the, uh, come and do it at Lab 11. I was like, sweet. He says, yeah, um, the police have passed it. He said, they give it the okay. I was like, sweet. So plowed more money into uh, into promotion and all that sort of stuff. And it was the night before, I remember being in the gym and Will Powers called me. He's gone, Joe, he says, I've got some bad news. I've gone, what? Bear in mind, I think we was... I think I think we was we haven't sold out, but I think we've done about seven hundred and fifty, eight hundred tickets. So it was good. We was three hundred tickets up from what we would normally do. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, he was like, uh, I've got some really bad news. He said the the uh, police have pulled it. I've gone. No, they haven't. Shut up. No, they haven't. He's gone. I ain't joking, Joe. They pulled it. He said someone anonymously has. Oh, I'm on the phone. He says, someone anonymously has uh, made, uh, obviously got some legalities, pulled out some licensing tricks and uh, and shown the licensing, the council, and the council have overridden the police and pulled it. And this was the night before, like this is the Friday afternoon, I'm in the gym, my getting pumped up, ready. And fucking pulled it, man. Someone had literally, deliberately... Yeah. It is a shame, mate, because obviously, like you said, like you were saying before about the, the the issues that you had before Nice, and you know you had like a major setback, and that knocked your confidence. It's those kind of issues where people don't realise, you know. I mean, I know you've got a full time job, but imagine, you know, as a, as a promoter, if that was like your 
you know, your primary income. But even if you have got a job, you know, you've got a lot of money and your own reputation riding on that event. It's, mate, there's a lot of stress that goes into that. And, you know, you're not the kind of person to hurt anybody. And, and it's those kind of times when you do stand there and you think, what have I done wrong to, to deserve something like that? It's... Mm. What would you, you know, rip someone off like that? Why would you do that? You know what I mean? But because <clears throat> I know, obviously, not everyone's the same. You base, you kind of judge everyone to be uh, your way of thinking, don't you? You think, well, everyone must be the same. Everyone must be kind. Everyone must yeah. be happy. No one would do that to someone, but they fucking do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Dog eat dog, and they will trample. Some people trample all over you to get what they want. Mm. You know. I think it pays dividends in the end though mate like you know the fact that you're still doing so well now is because you know good things happen to good people but eventually bad things do happen to bad people sooner or later karma will get you and not they do they do end up upsetting the wrong person yeah like I said I remember that day I remember sitting in the living room I was just like that believe it my mum my mum had come up to visit and all, all sorts and my mum I know my mum couldn't my mum couldn't cope uh, Sam couldn't cope I was just that I don't think I I, I cried I don't think I went as far as crying it was as if someone had torn my heart out again like you know what I mean someone had like uh, you know again it's like why and how would you do that to someone like but, you know, live and learn, get up again and we go, don't we? Yeah, yeah. And we went again, we done another event. Um, yeah, and it just carried on for progressing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like... The comeback's always stronger than the setback, mate. And I think it's... it's I like that. It, it's, it's, it's situations like that as well where, like, your passion really shines through, you know, yourself and any other promoters that have had big, big setbacks. Because sometimes... It, <laughs> Funny. But now, in terms of the passion, it is those kind of scenarios where you know you have that setback, but because you love it so much, you know the music and putting on the party and seeing people happy, you just think I'm not going to let someone bring me down. You, you know, you, you you come back and you know you stick your two fingers up to them and say I'm I'm doing it, mate. I'm just going to carry on. Yeah. 
know what I mean? No, it's very true. Uh, to be honest, I, I still try to do some of those old school tactics. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've never done parties to the capacity the likes of yeah, you've done or shorters or willpower, you know, a lot of other promoters as well. But you know, it's it's good to do social media, but it's also good for people to see the face behind the brand. You know, if you're making that effort to go out even in the rain, and that's one thing I've noticed, mate. Whenever I've done flyers, and you probably say the same, it's never nice weather, is it? It can be the nicest day ever, and as soon as you go to do flyers, mate, the weather drops, it starts hammering it down. You're like, this is proper flyer weather, this is. Yeah, yeah. You're doing smoke with the condensation. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. But uh, that's one of the questions I was going to ask, actually, is um, I would... I would say, you know, the, the large majority of your career has been obviously successful and there's been loads of positives, but I think you've just put it in a nutshell there about some of the, the, the knockbacks and struggles you've had along the way because people who maybe don't know you will see you on these, you know, live streams, obviously, which have done really, really well, raised loads of money for charity. You know, they'll see you smiling. I think, oh, you know, Joe's had this really long and successful career and there's never been any problems, but, mate, there's probably been God knows how many problems along, along the way. Yeah. you mate and you know I really appreciate your, your honesty there because I think that that's the thing a lot of people will have this misconception that you know they see you on the live stream and they think oh you know Joe Hunt you know been really successful promoter DJ you know amazing feedback 99% of the time off the live streams but that's the thing naturally as humans you know you might have 99 comments which are you know oh Joe we love you thanks so much but you have that one comment and it will naturally bring bring you down and it's and it is hard it is hard to ignore it, but I don't need to blow smoke up your backside, mate. I think I speak on behalf of everyone that I say, mate, everyone loves you. The only people that are trying to bring you down are the people who are bitter, jealous and insecure. And, you know, you've had the balls to do what you've done 
and it's paid off and there's a lot of people sat there who probably haven't had that and they'll just think oh because he's doing well I can't bear to see to see Joe do well so carry on what you're doing mate I'm sure you'll carry on regardless but uh <laughs> you know, it's, it's not open for uh, for anyone to come in. But what I'm saying is, like, you know, for anyone that it does hate on me for the the things that I do on Facebook. Now, and I can also get something clear that you know, when I put stuff on Facebook or anything like that, like if someone sends me a gift, just recently I've received a nice gift from Jess Preston. I received uh, some stuff from T Watts, a jigsaw and stuff. Now I. Some people might see that as uh, as gloating, uh, putting these gifts up on Facebook saying thank you and stuff like that. Now, I don't think that it's gloating. I think it is... Uh, I'd like to publicly thank these people because I think they deserve to be pub- uh, publicly thanked because if, it's, if they don't get thanked, it just goes off the radar and it... I, they've made the big effort of making me gifts. Yeah, of course. Sending me stuff. I just think it deserves a public thank you. And for instance, like my my Kiss FM, um, uh, recently I was on Kiss FM. Yeah. On the radio, one play of one of my tracks. Uh, you know, I've had BBC coverage, I've had newspapers, I've had whatever it may be, whatever. They're all achievements for me. And if you know, know where I've come from, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm very passionate about this. We've spoke about where I've come from, sitting in a bloody flat with nothing in King's Eve, with not even a bloody TV, sitting in an armchair, washing my clothes in a in a in a in a, in a bath, cooking my food on a fucking Breville maker, and then these things happen to me. Course, I'm going to tell people about. Course, I'm going to say. This is an achievement for me because yeah, of course, mate. Thing, like it's it's do you know what I mean? It's not gloating. So please, if anyone is watching this and think he's a big Eddie, no, they're not. They're achievements. Yeah, of course. I appreciate it, and I'm just proud of it, and it makes me emotional. And I think it's like you know, yeah, yeah. It's it's any it's my dream. It's my dream. That's what it is. It's my dream. Yeah. And, Nah, I, I completely agree with you, mate. You know, showing appreciation to people who've gone out of the way to give you gifts is not gloating because otherwise, if you just, you know, maybe ignored it and tossed it to the side, you know, didn't show any public appreciation, then, you know, that actually that might look worse. And I, I, I completely agree with you, mate. Um, just the last couple of questions before Sam, your fiance, knocks on my door and says, give me my husband, uh, give me my uh, fiance back. <laughs> but, um, was it even even now in um, in in 2021, your, your presence on the scene is is stronger than ever. And obviously, like I said before, I even brought you on. You, you know, your selfless hard work and willingness to to give back to those who need it most was evident throughout the first lockdown and continues now. Whether it's been the NHS charities streams and the donations and um, all the recovery sessions. 
But um, what is it that keeps the fire burning for you to, to constantly deliver week in, week out, even like when you say when you're having those tough days? Yes, I saw I saw the one about Ryland Supermarket Suite, yeah. Do you know what's funny though, Joe? When I was growing up, I, I used to watch like Bruce's Price is Right and Supermarket Suite when it was Dale Winton. And when you had Supermarket Suite, because I didn't realise they brought it back with Ryland, I thought, he doesn't look like Dale Winton. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. 
I think mate, I, I could genuinely imagine like when things are back to normal, like you doing a TV show on like BBC One or BBC Two. I could just see it, mate. I really could. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I suppose it's like I tried to get on Galaxy years ago. Was it Galaxy? Yeah, Galaxy. And uh, I was I was trying to go through Sasha Brooks, and Sasha Brooks uh, is my friend. She said at the time, she said uh, the thing is, Joe. She said, you know, you've got a big following. She said, but I don't think they're going to add you because you're like, yeah, it's me, it's Joe Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like, you know, like, obviously, the way I do my shows isn't, you know, a lot of people obviously do it that style because that's what they believe it to be. Yeah. My my show is like pirate radio. I do like pirate radio, like we did on Silk City, and I think that's where I think the content of how I present the show. He's uh, he's mad because we've always that's, I've always done it that way and it's only till now it's gone it's exploded and mm. it's nice to see that uh, all that hard work back in the day is now paying off in a funny kind of way you know what I mean yeah of course like, mate radio with the radio skills so to speak like it's paying off now like it's really weird yeah really... now it's quality yeah. it, it goes without saying that you've achieved so much over the years by sacrificing time pouring your passion into projects obviously taking calculated risks and like we've discussed there's been a fair few hits along the way you've been willing to take um, and i know that from listening to to various different people and the podcast you did with tom as well that you know you've you've won awards you've been nominated for the likes of pride of britain done events abroad um, I've seen firsthand, you know, with the events you've done at Lab 11, how you brought people together and then you've raised money for charity. But if you were to really have to pick in no particular order, like your top three moments from your career so far, what, what would they be? Um, do you know what? I've got to say, it's my first gig I've made, Okay. It was there. What, uh, what year was that? I'm sure you was there. I'm sure you was there. Probably, mate. <laughs> I'm sure you was on the stage with me, to be fair. <laughs> That's great of me, isn't it? I can't even remember, and I probably stood right next to you. Rudos, we played the base arena. It was the last one at Perry Park. Oh yeah, two two thousand and eighteen or two thousand and nineteen. It would would have been. Yeah. That, would, uh, that was one. That was probably the top. Um, gosh, getting my award, my very first Silk City award. That's got to be number two. How did that award c- come about? Just for anyone who's not familiar with with the award, was that like the public voted for it, or was it industry figures that voted for you to win it, or? No, it was a public vote. Okay. Public vote it was. Yeah, and I um, when uh, when I spoke 
spoke to the radio manager afterwards, the event manager, uh, C at the time, and I said, what were the votes like? He went, he said, no one had a chance, mate. He said, you just, like, literally, everyone voted for you, like... Next everyone. level. So that was, like, he said, all the, other, all the other years were quite tight. They were all, like, within 50, 60 votes of each other, he said, for that first year. Boom. Because I won it five years on the on the bounce, like... No way. Five years on the bounce. Plus other awards, like Best Radio Show, uh, uh, Outstanding Achievement Award, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, yeah, that was number two winning that first award, and that was at Dome Nightclub. Never forget that. Um, uh, I'd love to know what suit you wore to that award. Or did you wear a night track suit? Did you wear a night track suit to the awards? It was, it was obviously like, you know, probably chatty gear. Like, <laughs> I, was DJing, well, I, was, I was DJing, and then after I finished my last turn, that's when I'd done the presentation on the stage. And it wasn't like a, a thing. He literally come with a bloody cup. looked like a World Cup. <laughs> Ridiculous. And he was like, oh, yeah, you get to keep it for a year. Your name's engraved in it. And then you have to give it back. I was like, well, that's crap. <laughs> on the shelf. And that's <laughs> so after that, he started making glass ones that we could keep. Um, so that was number two. And I'd say, you know, like last year, uh, in fact, can I just say something? My biggest achievement is meeting my missus. Yeah, yeah. And missus. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you why. Because she is the one that's given me the drive and the support to be the success I am today. Fair play, Joe. Lovely words, my guys. When, when I met her, and this is what I said to you, when I met her, I had no confidence. I had, I had all that stuff happen. To me, I have no confidence. Uh, I met her, and she's the one that supported me and told me to do this, go for it. So that's my first achievement, meeting my missus. Behind every successful man is an even better woman. I think that's something along the lines of what it is. Yeah, so I, and then I'd say, um, uh, obviously, like I said, the second is the maid booking. Third is receiving the Silk Award, sorry, first Silk Award. And then if you want to go into fourth, the whole of last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last year, I can't even say one particular thing. The whole of last year and creeping into this year, amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, like, and so much has happened to me, good, as in like, you know, traveling, uh, touring Canada, I toured Canada, I toured Poland. Uh, I've played my B for, you know, but last year and going into this year, my DJ and I've just never enjoyed it so much. Mm. Never so much. It's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And the support and love that I've had, bar the hate, the support and love, because obviously visually now you can see it on, um, you can see it on, on social media now, can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People like obviously back in the day uh, when they heard you on radio they didn't know what you looked like did they but now they can see what you look like so probably a good thing mate <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 uh it's all changed so now you just you just see and feel the love like yeah it's quality the, the hate as well but the love outshines the hate so. definitely does
So the final question is, I know there's already been plenty of decent content covered throughout this podcast, especially for anyone who's aspiring kind of post-COVID to to become part of the industry. But with your experience and how you've seen the landscape of the scene change over the years, what would you say your main pieces of advice would be to anyone um, who's, who's looking to get their foot in the door in the industry like nowadays? It's true though, mate. Like you, have, you have got to be a resilient... been there and done it but mate that flew by that was uh, 110 minutes altogether and that has flown by <laughs> and I've missed uh, married at first sight oh sorry mate sorry sorry Sam <laughs> one, one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, quality no, no, so I just want to say really, really appreciate your time and uh, hopefully we'll catch up for a, for a gin and tonic at Lab 11 sometime this year. Yeah, uh, so just quickly, if anyone uh, is around tomorrow night, don't forget I'm on from 7 o'clock until 8, stroke half 8, depends what time Sam lets me go on till. <laughs> Classics tomorrow night. And obviously Sunday, the recovery session, um, I have got a new time. I'll be letting you know what the new time is uh, in due course uh, because um, Sundays are becoming something that I kind of like to relax a little bit and then do my show. Um, doing it at 3 o'clock, I find that you get up, you have your breakfast, and you basically it's time to start the show. So I kind of like might be starting a little bit later this week. I don't know 
over yet, so it's not set in concrete. But it's going to be a bloody special show. It's going to be funny as hell. <laughs> I can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. It's going to be brilliant. Quality. Uh, can I just shout out before we go? Of course, mate. Of course. Thank you. Uh, I'll try Natasha. It's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, Teresa, Ricky Brown, uh, Annie Lou, Kez, Laura, Tasha, uh, Debbie Painter. I think that's about. Oh, oh my missus, she's there as well. I'll try <laughs> Jack, Jack's Wheeler. Ricky Brown, that'll do, that'll do. And yourself, good sir. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Nice one. Take care, mate. Thanks for your time. Nice one, Joe. Thank you. Cheers, mate.